Our scripture reading today is taken from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 18. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to keep or to, to give you and ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lauren. And I uh, want to say my welcome to everyone as well. My name is Gray. I'm the pastor of this church, so if we haven't met yet, I'd love to have that opportunity after the service. Um, One more announcement. I know we are just piling stuff on you this morning, but we do have an Ascension 101 class coming, and I wanted to mention that briefly. About three or four Sundays ago, about four or five people asked me about membership uh, here, and we scheduled an Ascension 101 class. This is a class where you can go deeper on what we teach, what we believe, what we're all about. Uh, If you take this class, you can do so simply for your own edification. You can just uh, take it out of interest, but it's also the pathway for membership. So if you'd like to become a member of Ascension Church, this is the way that you would do that. That's the first step in this process. We offer this about four times a year, and so November 19th is coming up. Uh, One note is that we do offer childcare for this. I believe the form online right now doesn't say uh, childcare option, but we're going to change that uh, hopefully very soon. And so if you have a childcare need, we would be happy to take care of that uh, for this day, November 19th. But sign up soon. Let us know that you're coming. It's on a Saturday morning, and we'd love to have you. We're going to be in uh, 2 Thessalonians. It's already been read for us this morning. Uh, We're finishing up a series uh, on this book. It is our normal practice to go book uh, by book in the the Bible, passage by passage. And um, and sometimes we take little breaks, and we try to see the forest uh, for the trees. But for the most part, we try to take in God's Word whole. We try to look at books as they were given to us. We've been in First and Second Thessalonians, which has a lot of challenging passages in it. And, um, and we're going to be closing out that series today with Paul's final encouragement to us and challenge to us as he challenged the Thessalonians on doing hard but good things. And so before we begin, let's just go to the Lord and ask for His help in prayer. Our Father, we are so grateful to have your word, which is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce to the division of soul and spirit, this beautiful book that is given to us. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. 
And we pray, Father, that as we lean in this morning, we look at it, that you would challenge us, that you would comfort us, that you would bring us to yourself, that you would give us this energy that only you can, that we would work hard. The challenge of this passage, we would work hard, but we would do so with all of your energy that you so powerfully work within us. And so we ask for your spirit and your help now in the name of Jesus. Amen. So about uh, 12, 13 years ago, um, I had the opportunity, this was before I had kids, to, uh, to go on a deep sea fishing adventure. Uh, on a Saturday, we were on vacation down south. Uh, this was out on the Gulf Coast, off the coast of Alabama. And, uh, and so we went on this deep, fishing, deep sea fishing adventure. We chartered a boat. We got up early uh, in the morning and uh, went out on the sea. And I would say this about deep sea fishing. Uh, it is hard, but good work. It is very hard, but it is very good work. Let me start with the good. The good is uh, just the beauty of the sea, the amazing feeling of, of reeling in a catch. I mean, just being out there where this, uh, this powerful body of water is. I mean, it's just an amazing experience. Um, I had the freshest seafood that I've ever had in my life. This literally happened. I was reeling in a fish, and I got it off, you know, up onto the boat, and the person who was helping us came over, unhooked it, walked over to an already hot grill. Okay, you see where this is going? He walked over, he cleaned the fish right then and there, put it down on the grill, seasoned it, and then handed it to me on a plate. Ten minutes after I caught it. That's what you call fresh fish. Um, so... This amazing experience, good things, but it's also hard. It's, a, it's hard work. The people that we were on the boat with, they looked very weathered because they had been out in these conditions every single day of their life. They, this was hard to be on the sea in the wind and the water and the sun, heavy labor hauling in fish. And this tension between the hard things and the good things was really captured by the two guides that we had on this small boat. The first was the captain. He was an older man, and, um, and he had a smile on his face, and, uh, and he was loving life. Both of these guys that were on this ship were working extremely hard, but the first guy, the captain, we asked him when we, when we uh, loaded up on the ship, we said, how long have you been working on this boat? And he said, well, I've had this boat for about 35 years, but I ain't never worked a day in my life. That's what he said. Uh, because he had pushed past the, the hard things, and he had arrived at the good of the labor. The other guy was a different story. Ray was his name, and he had been on the boat for a few years, but everything that he did was filled with grumpiness and sourness. He worked hard, but everything seemed like it was costing him. He was miserable. I remember my dad saying after we got off the boat, I think Ray needs a vacation because he was so miserable. Two different ways of seeing this. He wasn't able to see, Ray wasn't able to see the good of the responsibilities because he was only weary from all of the obstacles. But the captain had pushed past the hard things in order to arrive at what was good about the job. Paul closes his letter to the Thessalonians with a similar challenge to his readers. He's writing to encourage us to push through the hard things that God has called us to, to the good, to see the beauty, to see 
the value of putting in the hard work towards good things. The problem that he's addressing is that, and I think it's a problem that we relate to, that it's easy to disengage from the hard things that God's called you to. It's easy to look at everything that he has called you to and to say, I'm really getting kind of tired of doing the right thing, of doing the hard but good thing. And so a good summary is verse 13 where Paul says this, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Push through. This is the challenge to those of us who are feeling the disengagement from the things that we've been called to do. He says almost something exactly the same in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. He says, Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not give up. I love that, that Paul assumes here that doing good things will make us tired. Isn't that the assumption behind do not grow weary in doing good? That there's going to be a challenge to do something good is actually going to wear us out. And there's an acknowledgement of that. We all know this. How many of us, when we look at what God has given us to do, it doesn't matter if it's on the level of the family, to care for these hard children, and all children are hard on some level, to, to care for this spouse, to care for this work that God's called me to do, to care for this church that has people in it that challenge me, to, to do the hard thing, I mean, even voting, right, and, and our responsibilities to do that. How many of us are ready for the midterms to be over? Uh, you know, all of us, right? To do the hard but good thing is the challenge that he gives us. How many of us are tempted to disengage? I want to ask the question this morning, why should we continue to work hard even when it's tiring? Why should we continue to work hard even when it is exhausting to do the good things? And I think Paul gives us three things to think about as we think about doing the hard but good things. The first thing he challenges us to think about is to think about community, our community, that the work we're doing is not in a vacuum. Uh, whatever work it is matters to the people of God. It matters to the people around us. That's his primary concern. Look at verse 6 here, what his warning is. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. So his concern is about idleness, that word there. Um, it doesn't just mean laziness. That's what we think of when we say idle. But it's actually a military term here in this passage. What Paul's saying is, He's actually talking about a term that was used for a disorderly soldier. So it's the soldier who has received these commands to do certain work, to have a duty that he is now abandoning. That's the term there. And he's reminding them that the chief officer here, that's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is where we get our commands from. What he's talking about here is not just the work that brings in money, as that would be certainly included, but what he's talking about here is generally to keep in step with the tradition that I've taught you about, which is includes this whole life together. He's talking about the rules of our life together as a community, pulling your own weight, being part of the unit, part of the team, part of the church. 
This is our calling to think about our community when we think about our work. He says you need to think about two things in particular with your community. First, the environment that you're working in and also the reason that you do work. He commands us to keep our environment pure. That's that, that's that command here where he says to, to keep away from a brother who is walking in idleness. The idea there of, of keeping away, it doesn't mean that you never talk to someone or that you you know, cut off the relationship. Actually, the, the word that's used there is, uh, is within, ref, within reference to the furling up of sails, to retreat the sails back in. So he's saying, look, create a little separation. You should name the problem. You should understand what's at work when someone is being idle, when someone is bringing the community down and provide that little separation. Why? Why would he say that? Because he's thinking about the environment and the community that, that it suffers from those who are idle. Environment matters. Uh, when I was in high school, I took a class on geography, and this was the worst class I've ever taken in my life. Literally, it was so bad, the teacher was fired after our class was over. Um, and it was, it was a coach as well. He, he pretty much was focused on coaching and not on teaching us geography. Um, and so all the class was just quizzes and tests that were open book. And once we got done with the open book quizzes and tests, it was a study hall. That was literally never a day of teaching, not once. Um, and so I'm bad at geography uh, to this day. Now, the interesting thing is while I was taking that class, I was also taking three or four other AP classes, advanced placement classes. I was in other environments, in other words, where it was extremely challenging. And so you would think that if you're in a challenging environment over here, that you'd be able to bring that work ethic, that you would be able to overcome the bad teacher and overcome the bad situation so that I could be good at geography. But nothing could be further from the truth. It felt impossible to work hard in an environment where nothing was required. Why? We're built this way. We feed off one another. That's Paul's concern when he says, look, you need to understand your community and see what's happening when the brother is being idle. It's bringing everybody down. You need to address this. And so he says, what you do then, the challenge is, I want to encourage everyone, he says, to, to follow me as a model for hard work. And Paul has no, you know, he doesn't mind showing himself as the model for this. And in doing so, he gives us the reason for his hard work. He says, look, this is what happened. Verse 7, you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Paul had a calling from God, not only to come into a place and preach the gospel and work hard, but he worked night and day, both preaching the gospel and ministering to uh, the people that are in Thessalonica. That was a full-time job, and he added a full-time job on top of it, probably tent making. He, He was a maker of tents. This was his trade, and he gave his time to that as well, so that Paul becomes this unique uh, person who did two jobs at one time. Now, What is it that Paul is telling us that we need to follow? How do we imitate Paul? Are we supposed to do exactly what he did? Are we supposed to give all of our hours both to ministry, night and day, and to work? He's not saying that. What he's saying is, 
I went to the extremes in both, in both of those callings in order to show you that you can do one of them. That's his goal, that you can be called by God to labor and work for your own bread or to be called to the gospel, which Paul believed would be a full-time ministry call and something that ministers are paid for. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where he says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to make to these things to to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my grounding for boasting. So Paul says the ministry is a full-time calling, and actually the Lord commanded that those who preach the gospel should get their living from the gospel. But he's saying, in my case, as an apostle of Christ, I both worked hard day and night, making things, providing my own bread, and was a, a, an apostle of Christ, so that you could see the model of both of those sides. And so that whatever your calling is, that you would pursue that calling with energy and enthusiasm. So we can't imitate Paul being an apostle, but we can imitate his ethic, which is this, to look for the good but hard things to do. Why? What's the reason? He tells us in verse 8 that we might not be a burden to any of you. That's the reason that Paul did the hard but good thing. That we might not be a burden to any of you. Do you see his concern for the community? What he has in mind, good work relieves burdens. That's what good work is. So if we are discouraged, if we are weighed down by the good but hard things that God's called us to do, Paul reminds us one of the things that we need to think about is the people that God has called us to. It's not just the hard work. It's not just that we need to grit and grin and bear it and that we need to learn to be disciplined. He's saying when we do so, we relieve the burdens of others. There is a community promise here. You are being used by God to help people. It could be the people that are most close to you, your family. Every time you feed a child at night, you are relieving his or her burden, something that they can't do themselves. Every time you solve an IT problem that nobody else knows how to do, you are relieving a burden. Every time you see your distressed spouse, and even though it's not your turn necessarily, or even though you're tired, you go ahead and do the dishes. Because you want to relieve that burden. That is good but hard work. It's true in the family. It's true in the church as we try to serve one another. It's true in our neighborhoods as we try to seek to be good neighbors. It's true in our nation. It's true in the world. On every level, there are burdens to be borne. And so he says, don't just think about how hard your work is. When you're thinking about your work, the good but hard things, think about the people that it's affecting. There's a second thing that you need to think about. He says, don't just think about the community. Think about consequences. What I mean by that is the consequences of not doing good work. He explicitly tells us this in verse 10. He says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. 
Not busy at work, but busy bodies. Those who do not work shall not eat. I'll admit that it took me a really embarrassingly long time to realize that that was in the Bible. Uh, Because the way that I remember it, growing up and hearing in my history class, this was a quote by John Smith, the founder of the Jamestown Colony in the 1600s, the first English settlement in the United States. All right, so that he who shall not work shall not eat. I thought that was John Smith. Didn't realize for a long time that it was actually him getting it from the Apostle Paul, although he tweaked it a little bit. It had the force of law when John Smith said it, he who shall not work shall not eat. That was the law that they maintained to have life together in Jamestown. It's a little softer here for Paul. It's, it's still a command, but he tells it, but it's, an, it's a strong encouragement. He says, if anyone's not willing to work, may he not eat. Let this be kind of your principle as you come to having a life together. Why was it true in Jamestown? Because the stakes were high. Because survival mattered. Because if you didn't work, then you could cause great harm to the entire community on this, this new adventure in America. And Paul is saying the same thing is true. Look, there are consequences to not pursuing good things, to not working hard. He's really in the, the, the wisdom of the Proverbs, the tradition of the Proverbs, which shows the direct connection between, the consequ- but between doing an action or not doing an action and its consequences. A couple of examples. Proverbs 20, verse 4 says, The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. That's just consequence, right? If you don't plow in autumn, you have nothing when the harvest comes. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. This is what happens consequentially. When you are pursuing hard but good things, then you actually get into places of more and more authority. But, but if not, then, then there will be a pattern of you having to force, be forced to work so that you can eat. This is just consequences. The point is, there are direct consequences to not doing good work. And in fact, he says, you actually should make this explicit in the church. Look at the consequences that he gives in verse 14. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note to that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Again, he's drawing attention here to the separation that needs to happen, and he actually steps it up a notch. In the beginning, he says, make sure that you keep your distance, like create a little separation. But here, clearly the person has gone even further, and they're further living off of other people, and they're taking advantage of others. And Paul says, you need to take note of that person and separate from them, have nothing to do with them, so that they may be ashamed. It actually says that. We, that he, they may be seen for what it they are, that they are just taking away. He says to have nothing to do with them, but he also says to treat them as a brother. That's a weird contradiction in our minds, isn't it? To, to think about how we might separate from someone and yet still give them um, our grace and our welcome. It's not contradictory. What Paul's saying is these things need to be named, but there always needs to be a way back in. It's easy to see in Paul's context how this would work. It's easy to see in Jamestown, honestly. 
because there's a settlement of people, they have a closed environment, there's no one else around, they have to provide their own food. Same was true for Paul's day with agricultural economy. And so we have the means of labor is human, the labor itself is human work, and the fruit of the labor is literal fruit. It is the harvest that comes. And so you can see how Paul um, makes this connection and how even in Jamestown, how they had to work all together or literally they would all die. How do we understand it for ourselves? We live in a global economy. We live in a, in a place where it seems like um, the means of labor and the fruit of labor is separated. Where it's not always clear that if someone doesn't contribute that they'll always get the raw end of the stick. It's, it's somewhat more complicated. What Paul tells us is, even when we can't see it, we need to understand that there are consequences to our good or bad work. That we actually, by faith, when we do the things that we know to be good, that we serve those around us, when we do a good job at our work, then we serve our families, even if we can't draw a line exactly to seeing how that will bring the fruit of the harvest, we still do it because we know that these things are connected and we are called to be a people who are doing good but hard things. This is true in the church and how we serve one another, how we lay down our lives, how we contribute our time, our talent, our treasure, how we have a life together. This is valuable for us to think about that when we do things or don't do things, it matters to those who are around us. Now, it can, it, can, it can feel lost. It can feel like that's not true because we live in Phoenix and people are in and out and people move here. And you know, How is it that we see this? We don't always see it. But nonetheless, it is true that we care for one another and that God has called us into a system called the church to be together to contribute to one another's lives. And it matters how much we contribute to that. You know, one of the things I was thinking about this week is the the uh, 80-20 rule. I don't know if you've heard that before. This is an organizational business kind of rule. The 80-20 rule is that in any given system, there, it's generally true that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. The 80-20 rule. That, that the things that, that move the needle in an organization, whatever organization it is, is often moved by the people who do uh, a disproportionate amount of work towards it. Well, I was thinking about that this week, and I think that to the extent that it's true, the 80-20 rule should be a point of shame in the church. This is what we naturally revert to, but it's actually not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying is we have a life together, and we should all make sure that we're contributing to it. Even though it's common, we push against this. When we, when we think about serving one another, when we think about giving meals to one another, when we think about meeting the mercy needs of this church, meeting the mercy needs of the neighborhood, serving in the events that we do, the, the financial gifts that we give on all of these levels, we are called to be a body that does these things together. I'll give you an example on the financial level. We don't talk a lot about finances here. We did today, actually, which is interesting. This is not a big thing that we harp on if this is your first time here. But I, 
I remember doing, um, I asked our bookkeeper a few years ago, this was three or four years ago, uh, to do an analysis of our giving. I don't know who gives to this church. Um, I don't know names. I don't know amounts. And that's something I've, I've been protected from and I continue to, to be protected from. But I asked just for percentages. I said, what percent of the congregation gives to what percent of our budget? Give me that analysis. I don't want any names, no accounts, no amounts. Um, and, and she sent back, and it was about 75-25, which is to say that about 75% of our giving comes from 25% of the congregation. Now, I know we have different income levels, and all these things are true, and so that's not bleak. Can we beat the 80-20 rule, right? That's good. Um, by, <laughs> by 5%. Um, I, don't, I don't know how to analyze that because we make different amounts and everything, but the, the calling is, if that's tr- is that totally true just because of that, or is it because we need the challenge to all contribute, to all be part of the body, and on every level? I'm not just talking about giving. And we don't harp on that here. And that's not the point. I'm not trying to get to an amount or anything like that. There's no manipulation. It's simply a call for us to say, what is the hard but good thing that we need to do as a body of Christ to do, not just financially, but to give of our time, to to not let the person who's continuing to do that same ministry every single week, to, to let them wither away on the vine, but to actually relieve their burden, to take something from those who serve the most. This is our calling. There is real consequences of doing hard but good things. Community, consequence, third and finally, the thing to think about is this, our contribution. Our work has actual contribution. He says a second problem here that he sees some are walking in idleness, and he says in verse 11, not busy at work, but busy bodies. A busy body is a meddler, someone who is concerned in the affairs of others. And so he's saying it's not exactly true that everybody's idle, meaning they're not doing any work, but sometimes the work that they're doing is basically other people's work. You're getting involved in other people's lives. So idleness is not always a lack of doing anything, Sometimes it's doing everything except what you should be doing. I don't know who needs to hear that, so I'm going to say it again. Uh, Idleness is not always a lack of doing anything. Sometimes it's doing everything except what you should be doing. And this is what happens, is we get interested in other people's business and we work towards that, but we don't work towards what God has given us. And what he commands here is this. Actually, I encourage and command that person in the Lord to do their work quietly, and to earn their own living, to focus on what God has given to you. He says the remedy for that is to know that when you do quiet work towards what God has given you, you actually, you actually move the needle for the, for, for the people that are around you, and you do things that God has given you, and that matters. We need to see that Paul is being totally countercultural here. He's speaking to, to Greek people, this Thessalonica is in Greece, and, and this is the first gospel outpost in what would later become Europe. And, and this, this um, culture, the Greek culture, you know, they really believed at the highest level that labor, manual labor, is degrading. You know, the Greek ideal is a life of contemplation and thought. If I could spend all of my time in contemplation and thought, 
in you know, philosophy, then that would be the ideal. And Paul is being countercultural. Of course, Paul is a big proponent of contemplation and of philosophy, but he's also a big proponent of plowing, working hard, doing the things, making tents for people. He's redeeming the value of hard but good work on its most basic level. And so it's not just a matter of taking care of the community. It's not just a matter of the consequences of not doing it. It's a matter of contribution for us to sense that God has called us to particular things and that we, when we do them, are doing His will and are growing the kingdom and are working hard in the things that He's given us. Now, all of what I've said today, all of the challenge can be received as just, you know, a kick in the rear end and a, a strong challenge. And that would be, um, you know, what many of us want to hear is like, I need this challenge. This book is challenging. It's challenged us on a number of levels. But I want you to see, as we close out, that the whole context of this, the whole context of the letter, the whole purpose of what Paul is doing is not just to chide people, even though he said throughout, I command you, I keep, you know, keep away from this person, separate. He ends the letter by reminding us that it's only in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are able to receive the challenge. He signs off this way in verse 16 and 17. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of the genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. There's a reminder here that the gospel, that is the good news of Jesus, is not this, work hard and avoid being idle, period. Even though we need to receive the challenge that Paul has given us, the whole challenge is given to us in a context of the gospel. The good news is receive the grace and peace of Christ, then we become what we are, which is a redeemed, hardworking people because of the grace of Christ. He tells us, I want you to hear this in my own hand. This was what Paul often did at the end of his letters. He would have a scribe. This was the custom, to have a scribe write the letters. Paul dictated, then, he, then a scribe would write down the letter. Like in the book of Romans, we know the scribe's name was Tertius. We don't know who the scribe was here. But Paul dictates it, and he wrote it down. But near the end of his letters, what Paul would do is he would, he would tell him to drop the pen, and he would go and pick it up himself. He knew how to write. And he would sign off the letter with his own hand. And so I know it looks the same in the font and the ESV you're reading right now, but in the original letter, this would have looked different. It was a different hand that Paul wrote this. Why? It's a sign of his genuineness, he says. I want you to see this is coming from me. It's really important in Thessalonians because, remember, he says, there could be people that are sending other letters that are, that are saying they're from me, and they're not. But I want you to know this one is from me. And then he signs off with his most familiar themes and the way that he starts 1 Thessalonians, the way that he closes 1 Thessalonians, the way that he starts 2 Thessalonians, the way that he closes 2 Thessalonians, and all the time, he says, this is the sign of the genuineness of every letter I write. Two things, grace and peace. 
Those are the things that he always begins and ends with. Grace is the core message. Peace is the core result. This is why we start every worship service with grace and peace to you. And why we close every service with the benediction of the peace of Christ on you. Because grace and peace from beginning to end is what gives shape to our life together. It is not just the fact that we are these busy bees working on good things. It's that we are a community of grace and peace. Grace. It is the unmerited favor of God given to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus, who endured the pains of the cross, welcomes us into a relationship with Him and gives us grace, unmerited. It's without our favor. That's what Paul says at the very end, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. That's what I want you to hear ringing out as you leave. That grace is yours, and grace results in peace. Give you peace at all times, and in every way, the Lord be with you all. That is his message, the peace of Christ, shalom, the wholeness that you have been invited into. It's how it begins and how it ends. The message today is to pursue hard things for the good, but the package that it comes in is a package of grace and peace. And when we see Jesus Christ, we see exactly how he embodies and teaches us how to achieve this hard but good work ethic. Because Jesus Christ, for the joy set before him, endured the pains of the cross. In other words, he saw the good that, that his gospel would do, that his life would do. For that joy set before him, he endured the hard thing. And so it's only when we find ourselves in Jesus Christ, when we know Him, when we are loved by Him, and we see what He has endured for our good, that we are then enabled to do the hard but good things. It comes by the empowerment of Christ, and it comes by the example of Christ. And if we don't have Christ we cannot help but be idle and, and pursue things that don't matter. But when we are in Him, we do the good things that He's prepared in advance for us to do. And we are called today to do them with energy, to continue, to not grow weary, but to pursue the hard but good things. Let's pray.